series titled, Act Like a Christian. Everybody say, Act Like a Christian. Turn to the person next to you and say, Act Like a Christian. Now, <laughs> as we jump into this, I was thinking about this the other day. I have a friend who was a pastor for many years. He's since gone to be with the Lord. And he would tell this story. He told this story about how he had a little, the family had inherited, you know, the, the, the parents' little property. It was kind of a little farm property. It had some chickens and some goats and things like that. And, and so he would every weekend or so have to go out to the farm. And he said one particular weekend while he was out at the farm, out in the field, they found a puppy. Someone had abandoned a puppy. And so, you know, mama was like, we got to take care of it. We got He's like, okay, but, you know, we don't live here. We kind of come back and check on the farm every other week or so. And had some other family members that kind of took care of feeding the animals and stuff. And so they, you know, they took this, this puppy, and the only thing they knew to do to keep it safe was to put it in the chicken coop. And that way the coyotes can't get to it and things like that. And, you know, put food out, and they'd have neighbors come put food and water out. And they would come, you know, every other weekend or so. And he said a couple of months into this process... He stayed the night there at the farm, and he said early the next morning, the rooster was crowing, and the chickens were clucking, and in about middle of the day, he kept hearing the rooster cluck, and the, and the chickens cluck, and he's just like, why is that rooster still cockadoodle doing? And finally, he went over to the cage, and he realized it wasn't the rooster, it was the puppy. And the puppy was cockadoodle-doo, and he, he brought his wife over, he said, look at this crazy animal that we keep in here. What's wrong with this thing? And it was in that that he realized... Because that puppy has not been around dogs, it's only been around chickens, it's acting like chickens because it doesn't know what it is. It's been caged up for its protection with the chickens, and now it's acting like chickens because it doesn't know how to act. The reason why we are doing this series, this series called Act Like a Christian is because so many of you have been locked up so long with the chickens that you're acting like chickens. And so it's time to act like the Christian that God made you to be. Are you with me today? Say yes. You still love me? Say yes. And so the original Christians, how did they act? You got to go back to the original. And what's the beauty of this whole series is that we're going to look at where the Christians and how they acted because there's an entire book of the Bible called Acts. How did the early church act? What were the acts of the apostles and the early believers? What was it like? How did they live? How did they give themselves to the things of God? And if you weren't with us last week, just a quick review. We looked at Acts chapter 2. So we're in the book of Acts, and we're going to kind of, over the next few weeks, just kind of go through from chapters and skip around the best we can. I can't read the entire book or cover the entire book. There's 28 chapters. But last week we were studying in the, the second chapter, the early church. They just developed Thousands have gotten saved in a radical moment after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing the Bible says that they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves. They were committed to it. I don't care about anything else. The Bible says very clearly in Acts chapter 2, it says the early church devoted themselves to four things. And this is what we studied last week. The first thing that they devoted themselves to was the Word of God. We're going to know the Word of God. We're going to understand the Word of God. They devoted themselves to the Word of God. The next thing that we studied that they committed themselves to was the word we use, quantania. It's the Greek word to mean fellowship For in our English. They committed themselves to fellowship. The reason why they committed themselves to fellowship, because we are stronger together. We don't do well by ourselves. The enemy picks us off. And they understood that the early church were acting in fellowship with one another. They did, it, wasn't, it wasn't a game. They were committed to it. This is how the early church acted. The early or OC, the original Christians acted. They were also committed themselves to what I called meal evangelism. They were breaking bread, the scripture says. But uh, it wasn't communion because they weren't taking communion every day. What they were doing was they were inviting their friends, their neighbors, their co-workers. They're having meals with people. And that's why I believe they were seeing daily salvations. People were getting saved every day. Every day people's lives were being changed. Why? Because they're engaging with them. They're loving their community. And then the last piece it says they committed themselves to was prayer. Prayer. And so I just challenge you. Act like a Christian. Pray. Learn your word. Be in fellowship with others. You need quantania. You need brotherhood, sisterhood. You need to commit to loving your neighbor and your coworker. And when you have a meal with them, something shifts. And that was what we looked at last week. And this week, we're going to move into chapter 4. Because chapter 3 was magnificent and beautiful. There's a piece that I want you to catch in chapter 4. So if you're with me today, turn to Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. I'm going to read this passage to you. Acts 4 and 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. How many of the believers? 
A few of them, some of them, how many say it again? All, all the believers. Now, at this point, over 5,000 men have committed to Christ, which means with their wives, their children, we're probably talking about a congregation of believers. The church there in Jerusalem has swelled in just a matter of weeks to about 10,000 plus people. All of these 10,000 believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them. I believe the grace was upon them and the power was upon them because they had unity and commitment there with all the believers. And verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, because his name means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Actually, if you keep reading, you'll move into chapter 5, where it tells the storyline of Ananias and Sapphira, who attempted to sell a piece of land and, and then lied about the proceeds and da 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 and they ended up dead. And then from that point, it's like fear gripped everybody. Like, whoa, God is awesome. Don't play games with him. This ain't, this, ain't, this ain't my buddy, this is the Lord. And we're in relationship with the God of heaven and earth, the creator. But as you look at these you know, five, six verses right here, you see very clearly that the early church, how they acted, they were, everybody say it with me, givers. Say it again, givers. They were givers. The early church, the original Christians were givers. What separates us out critically from carnal Christians, non-Christians, is that we as true believers, followers of Jesus, we are givers. And the reason why we're givers, because our God was the greatest giver in the history of humanity. Because we follow the one who did not hold back his only begotten son, but gave him that we might would have life and life more abundantly. We see very clearly that God from the very beginning loved humanity so much that he gave us life. And he gave us health and vitality and strength. In fact, James chapter 1 verse 7 says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow in other words god the father is the great giver of life god the father is who gives you the ability to go to work every day god the father is the one who has blessed you when you didn't even see the blessings coming he's the one who's been taking care of you and giving to you he is the great giver in all of humanity and you and i must understand that the reason why the early church was such great givers because they had such a great relationship with the Father. And it just came naturally. You ever notice how your kids do the things you do? Yeah. When they're bad, I just say, that's their mama. I ain't did none of that. I don't know where they got that from. Each and every one of us understand this concept that you act like your parents. There is this, this thing that they did, the way they wrinkled their brow when they were in conversation. Some of you, when I'm conversing with you, and then I see the same thing in children, you, do these, you have these little ticks. Some of you do like this. Some of you sway. And when I'm talking to your kids, they're doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, I, know who your, I know who your daddy is. I can tell you that right now. The Christians, the OC, the original Christians were givers. You can't get past this. Look at them. They're selling houses. They're laying it all at the apostles' feet. Because that's what Christians do. That's what they are. Nothing more frustrating than someone not acting like the position that they hold. Can you imagine a fireman looking at the fire, that your house is on fire, and going, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. You're like, what are you talking about? You got the gear. You got the training. Get in there to put the fire out. It would, it would tick you off. It's the reason why we had such frustration with our people of blue. We had such frustration over the last few years. As we come, Man, this is like, how, how can you call yourself a police officer and you're not serving and protecting? You're actually manipulating and being violent when you shouldn't be. And so there was, a, it started rooting out. Thank God. It started rooting out those who were not representing the badge properly. I thought that was a good thing. And because there are so many great police officers who do their job right and love the community and help the community and protect the community. And so and I'm I was grateful that that was being exposed. Get them out. Why? Because you're not acting the way you're supposed to be acting. There's nothing more difficult for the world and the lost world than when Christians don't act like Christians. We're supposed to act like Jesus, look like Jesus, respond like Jesus. So I'm just trying to teach you how the early Christians acted. They were Givers. Let's go back to this verse that we read, starting back in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart 
and mine. Let's break that down for just a second. All the believers. All of them. Not some of them. All were of the same heart and mind. They had the same passion and the same intellectual concept of what we should be doing. It opens up this whole concept that they were great givers because they were all together. They were, if you will, in agreement. Everybody say agreement. I've talked to you a few months back out of this passage uh, where Jesus talks in Matthew 18 and 19. Look at what he says. He says again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. The reason why we don't have great movement is because we don't have great agreement. The reason why we don't see things happen in our family is because you say this, but your husband actually doesn't agree. He put up with it, but doesn't really agree. When we lay down all the things that we think is the right, and we come in agreement and say, okay, I want to say, this is my position, this is your position, let's find a middle ground so we can have agreement, that's when movement starts happening. That's, that's the power of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, is that when the believers come into agreement, God moves. He moves. He said, I'm not going to move in your disagreement. You say yes, you nod in your head, but you don't really agree. So I'm not going to move in that. But if you'll come together, and the early church, tens of thousands of OC believers, the original Christians, were like, we're in agreement. We're in agreement. We're in one heart, one mind. We're going to be givers. That's what it looks like. When we're in agreement, supernatural things move forward. The things of God happen. Uh, I was teaching this principle a few months ago, and my, you saw my daughter on the screen who got to do announcements this week. She, uh, she got a hold to it. So my 15-year-old got a hold to it. And she was saying the other day they were going to do a youth event. And she was like, hey, mom, dad, I need you guys to agree because they're talking about rain. But we're not going to have a, grand, a rain, right? I need you all to have agreement with me right now. She looked at me. We're like, well, baby, they forecasting the rain. I need you to come into agreement. Dad, you preached on it. You need to come into agreement. I was like, let's go, girlfriend. I said, all right. I said, in the name of Jesus, I'm in agreement with you. This thing ain't, it don't matter what the weather says around here. They don't know what they're doing anyway. God controls the weather. My, and she's like, amen. Go, dad. Go, dad. We're in agreement. I want you to know that storm thing stopped right here. And they had their event, and it was all around the Metroplex, but not here in Cedar Hill. Because we had agreement. The early church had agreement when it came to being givers. Half of them were like, man, I don't know. All them preachers want your money. You know, I'm sorry, but I went to a church. All oh, they did is want my money. I ain't being, I, you know, I don't know. Y'all could say that, but I ain't going to be able to. They didn't have that. They said, let's do it. We're in agreement. We're of one heart and one mind. Let's go forward in this. There's a church in the Metroplex. It's one of the larger churches in the United States. This church is the greatest giving church that I know of in the world today. It's here in the Metroplex. And I know, I know their team. I know their pastors. And, um, in fact, let me just, let me just say this, it's public knowledge, they, their tithe base is $150 million a year. $150. I don't think there's a church in the, in the world that's got a tithe base of $150 million. Their people give $150 million. They're a large church. They're not the largest church in the United States. They're a large church. But they bring in $150 million a year. And, they, and listen, we're not talking about Martha's Vineyard. It's not all the people from Martha's Vineyard. We're not talking about a bunch of people, you know, from uh, Silicon Valley. Just good Texas folks. But they give $150 million a year. You know why they give $150 million a year in tithe? Because their pastor teaches the tithe. And guess what? Their people either agree or they go to another church. That's how they operate. They operate. And as a result, can I just tell you, they give more money to missions than any other church I know. They got, listen, when they want to open a campus, they open a campus. When, they, when the Lord tells them to take care of, uh, of Israel, they write checks to Israel. In fact, years ago when we were believing God to get this building and it was on the bubble and we didn't necessarily have the money, I began to reach out to people that I knew. And I just said, listen, we have an opportunity to get a building. We've never had a building. We need a mir We've been praying for a miracle. And the miracle's in front of us, but we don't have the money. We just don't have the money. And I wrote them a text message to one of their elders and said, could you talk to the eldership about it? They don't know me that well. They knew of my traveling ministry, but they didn't really know me that well. And can I tell you something? They cut us a check, which was one of the largest checks that any of my friends around the nation gave. And the reason why they gave that money? Because they could. Because everyone in their church were givers. They didn't have those who were takers but not givers. They were of one heart and one mind. They are today. And that's why they're one of the largest giving churches in America. My question to you is, are you a Christian? And if you are a Christian, then will you act like one? Because Christians are givers. They give to their local church. They give to people hurting around them. That's what we are. 
and, and it's time to stop clucking like chickens and start acting like Christians. I mean, it doesn't matter that we've been surrounded by people who steal and manipulate and all that kind of stuff. We are either believers or we're not. This is how believers act. It says they were one in heart and one in mind. We teach the same thing here at the church. We teach the tithe at this church. We teach that 10% of our income, as we see in Scripture, is to be brought into the storehouse, into our local church. He said, Pastor, oh, I don't know if I can. Ooh, I can. Well, one of the things you'll notice about us, we don't go around and whoop everybody and say, how much you gave this year? Tell you right now, get out of here. Because we're all taking steps into our faith, right? We're all working through some things. We're all working through, you know, I came from a place that all they did was manipulate me. And we as good pastors, we know that. But our standard here at our church is that we're tithers. We're tithers. We give. We give. We give 10%. I don't even think about it. It comes out of my check so fast. Woo, it's gone. And our little businesses, in fact, a couple years ago, we were hitting a dry spot financially. And I looked at my wife and said, did you hold back the tithe? She goes, I would never. I said, you better double check. She came back. She said, um... Um, that last litter, um, I forgot to tithe off of it. I was like, baby, what's wrong with you? Hold back the gift of God. What are you talking about? Get that in. We wrote that check. And I was like, why? Because I understand the beauty of being a Christian. And part of who I am is I'm a giver. And I'm not going to withhold anything from the Lord or the house of the Lord, the people of God. As we give, do you understand? Listen, let me just, not to shame anybody or anything like that, but just, just to help us tighten up a little bit. We have less than 25% of our members tithe regularly. Can you imagine what we can do for Cedar Hill and Duncanville and DeSoto and, and, and Mansfield and in the Metroplex if we all were of one heart and one mind? The early church was of one heart and one mind. They didn't sit around arguing about it. They didn't sit around saying, I don't know if I believe in it. See, when there's disagreement and there's disunity and, 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 and as far as, you know, which direction we're going to go, you can't get anywhere. We all know that. The Cowboys cannot win a Super Bowl. Not because they don't have the best players. We have the best players. But let me tell you what happens in that hole. All right, coach called such and such a play. Man, that's not my play. I'm going to get no show time today. Dang. Yeah, no, don't forget, you run out and block that guy. I ain't blocking the man. Look. Man, my fantasy football stats are going down because of that. That's why we can't win a Super Bowl. But you take like a Nick Saban. And be careful because I don't want to talk about it much. <laughs> Alabama football. I have so much anger towards them because they whoop my team LSU every year. But there's a reason why I got to have respect for it. Because Nick Saban talks those young men into this one understanding. Guys, I know you may not get the flash. You, the, the cameras may not get to be on you. You may have to just simply play your part and not always get, you know, get the, the wow moments and the plays come your way. But if you'll just play your part, I promise you we're going to win the championships and then all eyes will be on you. And do you know they put more young men in the NFL than any other college team in the nation? Why? Because they are in agreement. They're one in heart and one in mind. Whatever the coach calls, we're going to play the play. I'm going to do my part with all I got. I don't have a whole lot to give. I may not be the superstar, but I'm going to do my part. And all the other NFL coaches are going, look at that guy right there. Look at that guy right there. He may not be. He may not look like a superstar, but that dude right there is the bedrock of that whole congregation. He's the bedrock of that whole, that whole ministry. He's the bedrock. Come on, I'm just speaking into you. And God says, I will bless that. I will take that and I will multiply. There were one in heart and one in mind. Continue on in verse 32. And it says, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. The original Christians were such givers that no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Who did they think belonged? it all belonged to? Their God. They had an understanding of stewardship. I'll never forget about 15 years ago when I got a revelation of stewardship. Now, when you grow up Poe, and remember, there's a difference between poor and Poe, and only those who've lived in Poe understand. The rest of you are like, what? All right, yeah. And when, you don't know about that government cheese. When you, when you have lived like that, and you have made it through, and you worked your tail off to get somewhere, then you become a Christian, and then, you know, the favorite God, and then, then all of a sudden you hear a preacher like, like me or something say, you need to tithe, hallelujah. You're like, I'll never forget, I was like, you got more money than all of us. Driving that nice car, wearing them fancy suits. Like, why do you need my money? I'll never forget, that was here. 
It was my money. That was my problem. And the more I grew in God, the more I started reading through the scriptures, and I realized I'm nothing more than a steward of this life. This is not my wife. This is his daughter. I'm stewarding that. These are not my children. These are his children. I'm stewarding. This is not my money. It's his money. In, In any moment... I could lose my ability to even think. I could lose my ability to wake up and go to work. I could have a stroke any moment. So you, God, you are sustaining me. It's yours, and I will steward it well. And you can't get past the scriptures without all of these teaching on stewardship. And the early church had an understanding. It's not ours. It says, literally, it says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. It was somebody else's. Whose was it? It was the Lord. So they were happy to give it because they also understood a principle. And that is, if you give, I will take care of you. If you, will, if you will respond when I need you to, do what I tell you, move in the principles that I've laid out, then I will take care of you. And you won't be responsible for taking care of yourself. When I got that revelation, you talk about easy peasy. Every time something bad happens in our finances, I'm like, Daddy, your money's got problems. I've done everything you told me to do. Your money's got problems. You need to, um, I'm just saying. I'm just saying right now. Like, your car that I'm driving is broken. So, Daddy, you're going to have to get, you gonna, look, I need, you, 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 have you, you, ever, you ever been a renter? It's, it's fun to be a renter. You call them and say, hey, your air conditioning unit ain't working at my house. And I'm paying. I'm paying my rent, so you need to show up here and fix my air conditioning unit. I'm telling you, it was so liberating. It was so liberating because I was like, Lord, your wife, my wife, your daughter's got issues. Daddy, you need to fix your girlfriend right here because I'm doing my best to steward this thing. But it's broken. you got to fix it. What a liberation to have an understanding that we're nothing more than stewards. It's not mine. It's not mine. I don't, I don't, Lord, you're going to take care. Uh, Lord, if you kill me, then I'll be with you. So whichever, it, it's all good. It's all good. When you get a revelation of that, it sets you free. So when you're sitting there in Walmart and the lady in front of you is trying to dig pennies out of her purse. And the Lord says, pay for that. You can go, Daddy, this is your money. Excuse me, lady. I won't pay for this for you. <gasps> and the pastor says, come on, guys. Let's be faithful to the tithe. You know, you get from my money. It ain't my money. It's his money. I am so excited to cut my tithe check every week. In fact, we have grown, Jamie and I have grown to the place that we don't just tithe 10%. We tithe above and beyond all that. We just keep giving to the Lord. And the Lord keeps just taking care of his business. Because he'll tell me sometimes, he'll say, Adam, I need, a little, I, I need you to do a little bit more now. Because he's working with me on my faith. He's working with me on my trust. Are you with me today? He's working on. He's working. And I'll never, when I first started giving, it was a little bit. I was, I was barely even tipping. Nah, here's $5, Jesus. And now I've gotten to the place, Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. It says that they, 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 no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Back into verse 32. And then it says, they shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. Do you remember that word share? Remember how we used to teach that to kids? I grew up that way. Some kid would come over because, you know, mom and dad would have some people from the church over. And, and mom would be like, you got to share your toys with them. I'm like, share my toys. That little kid's an idiot. He's going to steal these toys if I let him share. And I, you gotta share. and I learned to share, and that's a big deal for an only child. An only child sharing, that's like, th- this is how they were. They shared what they had. It's a principle that you and I probably haven't seen worked out as much in the generation that we live in now. It's just like, oh, no, oh, no, you, it's yours. You just, you know, don't worry about sharing with them. We'll get them one, too. No, 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 you're going to share. The greatest thing you can ever teach your kids to do is share. Because what sharing does, it actually kills greed. Sharing kills greed. And we all got some greed in us. Somebody say amen. We all got greed in us. We all got, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. All of us have a little bit of greed. But what sharing does is it kills greed. In fact, the definition from dictionary.com for greed is intense and selfish desire for something. Especially wealth, money, power, and food. Yeah, some of that. I understand some of that. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus' words, give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. He's literally going after the greed in all of us. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured with you. To you. This is, you got to understand, Jesus was using a, um, a, a shopping concept. That you go... 
to, in those days they would go to a vendor or something like that and they would get a, a, you know, a thing of, of beans or whatever they were getting and they would measure it. And, and that's why God is always uh, cursing those who uh, have un, un, um, unweighty measures. In other words, they would, put, they would put too much weight over here so this looked like uh, it, you, know, you were getting you know, a pound when really you were getting um, you know, seven-eighths of a pound or you know, kind of thing. And, and he says those are un, unweighty measures. It's wrong and, and God would literally curse those who did that. And so he's saying this, if you'll be a giver, that when you go to get something, he says, literally, I will cause it that they'll go, look, push down, get some more, push, push down, get some, come on, keep pulling it in there. More than the container that you have can contain. More than what you have the ability to even hold on to. Can I just tell you, I live in this space. God gives me more than I even know how to manage. I can't even keep up with it all. And not that I'm so rich, because that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, one of the greatest prosperities of my life is that my children love Jesus. That I, I, what else is done? Done. That my wife is faithful to me, and I'm faithful to her. When you talk about prosperity, you talk about beauty and success, that, that, that I got a group of church friends, and I get to pastor people who really want God, who really like, like I, I want to get closer to God too, PA. Let's go. Let's go for it. I, I, that's, I don't know if there's anything more successful in life that I, that, that I can come home to a woman who loves me, who's who can't wait to kiss me, who, 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 who we do this thing together, loving people together and, and, and ministering together. What, what prosperity, what grateful, and how then can I be greedy with my time, with my love, with my resources to others? Jesus literally in Luke chapter 6 is saying, look, if you'll give, it'll be given back to you. Look at what Proverbs eleven twenty four says. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. You got to understand the principles of God. One man gives freely, just freely. Just freely. And yet, he keeps gaining. Can't stop it. Another withholds unduly. In other words, withholds. It shouldn't have withheld. It could have given that, but didn't. Withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. The concept of, I've got to hold on to it. i got to have it. I need it. He says, that whole thing will literally lead you to poverty. But the person who says, look, I, I, I got extra of those. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So they, they literally have even more. They gain more and more and more. See, God promises to enact a principle when we give. And that principle is we will gain more. When we give, he promises a principle that you will gain more. Press down, shaking together, running over. Will I cause to come into your life? Because you freely give. The early church were givers. The OCs, the original Christians, were givers. It, it scares me 2,000 years later that we have now, we have now departmentalized how we give, and only if, um, if we're motivated, and only if it pricks our heart. So that's why every bit of manipulation is out there. That's why every commercial is, you see the poor dog with three legs <laughs> on the arms of an angel. And you're like, <laughs> you don't need, because they've got to motivate us emotionally to manipulate us because we stop being givers. And I want you to know, Hill City is full of givers. We're a group of people who say, freely we've received, so freely we give. Here, Lord, here you go. Lord, you can take it. Break that old poverty thing off of us. First, the end of the last year, uh, Jamie and I were just going over our finances, and I just said, um, we were sitting there, and I was like, babe, um, we gave a good bit this year to the church over our tithe, over our 10%. And uh, we were just sitting there, we were praying and talking, and I heard the Lord say, give more. Give more. I'm like, Jesus, you know our bank account, and you know giving more means trouble for us and your stuff, Jesus. And he's like, give more. I was like, ah, okay. And I was like, hey, babe, I feel like the Lord just told me. She said, give more? I was like, yes. She said, me too. I was like, you're so happy about it. Wow. Okay, women are always much more easier about, I mean, closer to God. I figured that out. Ladies are much closer to God. I was like, baby, let's do it. Let's just do it. And we just gave. Just, I mean, just above and beyond. And, and uh, the stewardship team told me later, hey, PA, by the way, just want you to know, uh, this year you were a top 10 giver. I was like, I was a top 10 giver. Like we don't make enough to be a top 10 giver. So I was like, somebody better start stepping up. You uh, Anyway, and so I was like, man, that is awesome. We're a top 10 giver. I was so excited. Man. I was like, did we get something? Like, talk to the pastor. I'm like, did we get a trip to Germany or something? I mean, what happens? And they're like, no, just well done. I was like, oh, great. Anyway, so 
Within two weeks, no lie, I just want to tell you this, and not because we want to manipulate God, but just to tell you the goodness of God. Within two weeks, we get a phone call, some business things that we have been praying for and believing with God for years, it never would break loose to us. And we get a phone call, and they said, hey, listen, we got a business deal. Guys, it's been the business deal of a lifetime for me and Miss Jamie. I mean, it has taken us from here to here, and I'm just like, Lord, I'm stewarding all your stuff. I'm stewarding your stuff, Jesus. Keep on bringing it. It is magnificent. How when you and I are free to give from that greed, he just causes pressed down, shaking together, running over to be given into us. It's phenomenal. His pride. Going on to verse 34, if you'll keep reading then that main passage that we read, it says, And that there was no needy persons among them. There were no needy persons among them. It's amazing, you know, as Americans, how we... We don't really know need. Those of you that have ever done, been outside the United States, you can understand what I'm about to say. We, don't, we know want, but we really don't know need. We're so blessed and we're so favored. I mean, literally, I, I understand we have poverty and we have difficulty, um, but really, let's be honest, the poverty and difficulty that we have, for most of those people, especially you guys living under the bridge, what they need is they need mental health help. What they need is breakthroughs to the demons that are, that are driving them almost insane. They, we have plenty of jobs that, that are waiting. And I know that sounds weird in an economic downturn and at the price we're in. But right now, I mean, uh, Mike Rowe keeps going to Congress and saying, listen, in the trades, there are more jobs. They can't find people who will work with the plumbers. They can't find people who will actually get out there and cut grass. There's jobs available if we would just step into it. We have plenty of work to be done and plenty of money to be made so our poverty issue is more of the church helping hurting people and their brokenness in their heart and helping them get a leg up instead of handing money out to them under a bridge giving them a giving them a latte or, or a hot dog what we need to help them do is get to get their 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 self-worth back so that they can feel good about themselves and go to work every day and whatever hinders that that's where we really need to put our effort and energy and i'm just telling you I, working with poverty people you know from my whole life this is the, this is the solution because you can't take their self-worth by just giving them stuff and throwing stuff that doesn't help them at all what we got to do is build them up so that they can stand on their own two feet and have their own confidence that they can go to work every day this is this is what, how we deal with poverty but when you go to other nations like haiti for example and there's no way these little kids have will ever have any kind of income for themselves they have to steal when you go to places where there is true poverty and the difficulty. And it says literally here in the early church, it says there was no needy people in their midst. Why? Because they were taking care of each other. Come here, buddy. I'm going to help you get a job. Come here. I got an opportunity for you. Here, I'm going to finance you for just a couple weeks, but I'm going to teach you how to handle money. And I'm going to teach you how to hold a job. I'm going to teach you how to work with your hands. I'm going to give you a leg up. I'm not going to give you a handout. Are you with me today? Say yes. And as a result, it says there was no needy persons. No needy persons. Wow, if the church was acting like Christians in America, we got more money than we know what to do with. If we, the Christians, acted like the OC Christians and we were givers, we would stomp out poverty in the United States in a weekend, in a weekend, and just in a moment. That's why it's time for us to go back to acting like the original Christians. And then verse 34 through 35 says, they sold their properties and laid the money at the apostles' feet. They sold their properties and they laid, everybody say radical. That's radical. Grandma left you some property. You got about 40 acres down in South Texas. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, uh, we'd like to purchase that. You're like, well, how much? And they said, well, 40 acres. The market right now will give you $1.5 million. You said, that's the Lord. You get that $1.5 million, this is what the early church, and then they came and they brought it to the church and laid it at the pastor's feet, the leader's feet. Whatever you need to do with it, take care of people. None of us in this room will do that. We'd all be like, hmm. I had a lady the other day, she said, Pastor, I know I ain't supposed to, but I'm going to the casino, but I promise you, I will give to the church if, you, if I win big. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm like, I ain't praying for you. Out of your mind. But if you do hit it big, I do need you to go ahead and tithe or something. Just saying. This is radical. Look, they, they were selling properties. They're selling their house and they just bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet. Everybody say, givers. Say it again. Say, givers. 
They were just good. They were one in heart and one in mind, knowing that, Lord, it's all yours anyway, so it doesn't matter. And they just gave it, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and they were taking care of each other. It was radical, crazy living. It was unbelievable. And that's why I always, I get in these debates sometimes with some of these guys. You know, they've been watching a lot of YouTube videos. I've been studying Rabbi so-and-so and and, and brother such and such and reverend such and such. And, and there's this whole debate many times between the old covenant and the new covenant. That the tithe, the 10%, was an old covenant principle. And we're set free from that in the new covenant. And that we're to be givers in the new covenant relationship with God through, you know, through, the, through the blood of Jesus Christ and our new relationship. And the tithe was an old covenant principle. And they like to get in debate about it. And, and honestly, there is truth on both sides of that argument. We are not under the law. We are, we, are, we are saved by faith, come on somebody, through the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And Jesus loves us. And even if we're struggling to believe in tithing or giving, he loves us, he accepts us, and he's going to keep working us until we get there. Are you with me? Say yes. And so, and so I understand that. I, as a good pastor, we're not going around saying, you don't have faith to be a tither, you wicked individual. But what we see here in the early church was they weren't worried about tithing. They were way past that. They were given everything. And so that's why I always have this debate with these guys. So you want to do the new covenant thing? Instead of the old covenant, you don't want to do the tithe part. You don't want to give 10%. You want to, you want to do what the new covenant did. Yeah, well just, that's what we should be doing. You should, no one should be talking about tithing. We should just, okay, well, when I read it, they gave everything. How about we just start with 10%? I would be happy with that. Won't you think that, that as a pastor trying to help people, I, I, I think, you know, building our faith to like build myself up to where I can believe for 10%. It took me a few years to get there. It really did. It took me a few years to, to cut back some things because I was, I was way extended into all my, little, all my little stuff that I had to have. And once I began to cut those things back, I could be faithful to the tithe. And then that's when the Lord just, I mean, it just was something. It was just supernatural because it's the heart of the giver. It's what he's talking about. They were one in heart, and they were one in mind. They recognized this is good, and so they went way beyond. And I, there are people in our church who go way beyond the 10%. There are people in our church who tithe off their business, and they keep telling me, Pastor, we can't stop it. We have more work than we know what to do with. We're so, so blessed. I don't even know how to tell you. It's just like how to tell you this. And so I would say to you here, we hold to the teaching of the tithe. Um, and, and at the same time, we hold to the heart that we should be givers. And if you don't have the 10% faith yet, then build towards it. That's how we are. That's what your pastoral team, how we see it and how we believe and how we see scripture. And we see the grace of God. Because, and, and, and you know, there's this beautiful passage in Malachi that a lot of the, the preachers will give. And they'll talk about, you know, it's this passage where God is correcting the Israelites. The book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And the Lord is getting on to his people, Israel. He is whooping them. He is, he, is, he is smacking them at once because they've gone and served other gods. They're not faithful to him anymore. And he literally starts whipping them. And he says, and when it comes to the tithe, you don't give your tithe to me? And he literally, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, and he says, he says I, I, I will curse you. And what happens is a lot of times pastors, in an attempt to try to motivate people to do well in their congregation, they'll point out this passage about God cursing the Israelites because they wouldn't tithe. And you don't want to be under curse. You don't want to be under curse. You don't want to be under curse. Hmm. We're under a new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. We are under no curses. We are, we are free in God. We are beautifully free. The curse has been broken. That's what the Bible says. What God is doing here is correcting his people, but he's setting a principle in place, and that is I expect you to have faith to give towards me. And so he does that. So I see pastors, they begin to try to motivate the people to do right by God by using fear. And I just want you to know that God loves us and it was his kindness that led us to repentance not his fear tactics are you with me say yes and so in the new covenant relationship you don't have to fear that you're a second-rate christian if you're not at a place yet with your tithe but you need to know that is the place we're trying to get to and you need to understand that god loves you and what a christian does is a christian is a giver and i know that's in every one of our hearts and so as your pastor i want to help you grow to that space grow to that place to where you can see pressed down shaking together running over all the, re all the recompense of being faithful to being a giver to the Lord your God. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so don't live under fear. Don't live under fear that, oh, my God, God's not going to hey, hey, I had a lady tell me one time, Pastor, I hadn't been tired, and I got in a car accident. I know God was punishing me. I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. There's a real devil out there trying to kill us all. God's not, God's not cursing you because you didn't tithe. God wants to whoop you a little bit to get you closer 
But that didn't, that didn't, he, no, no, he loves you. He is watching out for you. He cares for you. That's our position here at Hill City. And so with that being said, let me give you a little bit of advice for those of you that may be struggling to be a giver. Well, I, I know as an only child, I really struggle. So let me give you a little bit of advice. Number one, write this down. Here's, here's a little bit of advice. Own the fear. Own the fear. If you're struggling to be a giver, there's some fear, I guarantee it. Own it. Just own the fear. Maybe you have a fear of being taken advantage of. Maybe you went to a church back in the day, and man, one, one guy came to our church. He said, Pastor, I went to the same church for 20 years. Every day, every Sunday, that preacher would get up there and say, we got to get, we got we to get that van fixed out there for the kids' ministry. We got to get this, got this. And he said, Pastor, after 20 years, we gave and gave and gave. They never got the van fixed. The air conditions never worked. He said, I ain't been in this church with you guys six weeks, and you ain't never begged us for money, but everything's working. <laughs> I said, yeah, we know, we know how to steward well. We take whatever tithe we got, and we, and, and, and we don't have to beg and plead. We just take the tithe, and we give to missions, and we fix things. We had a, like, for example, you don't see me standing in front of you today. Uh, um, Monday night, Sunday night, I guess it was, Sunday night, 11 o'clock at night, 11.30 at night, I get a call from the uh, Cedar Hill Police Department. I don't like getting calls from the police at 11.30 at night. I don't know if you enjoy it, but I don't. I'm like, oh, and the first thing, like a good parent, which one of my children are in trouble? That's the first thing. I mean, I had to, and I had to, before I answered, I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I answered, the officer said, uh, is, is this Pastor McCain? I said, it is. He said, you still the pastor of Hill City? I said, well, I think so. Um, <laughs> is there a riot and they're throwing me out? I don't know. What's happening? He goes, uh, okay, good. He goes, well, listen, we're up at your building. The alarm's going off. And uh, we had a perpetrator um, uh, throw a, a brick through your front window. I was like, and did they rob the place? He goes, no. He just was, uh, he said he was Yahweh and uh, that the church was going to be preaching bad against him. And so I said, do we know him? He goes, no, he's never met you guys ever been to your church. He just says he's Yahweh and every church is going to be uh, against him being God. And I'm like, okay. Do you have him? Yeah, we have him. He's kind of cut up because, you know, got cut by the glass. And so we're like. And he goes, well, you want to come up here? And I was like, uh, sure, we're on our way. So Jamie and I come up here. <laughs> he, he busted out the front window. I mean, it's you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of damage. Do you remember how I called all of you guys and said I need you to give extra offering so we can replace the glass? You know why we didn't have to call you? Because we take your tithe and we, take, we manage it properly so all we have to do is fix the glass. That's what we do. That's how you manage stuff. You don't have to, you don't have to beg and plead. And, and some of you came from congregations where the pastor was constantly begging and praying. So as a result, you have a fear. You have a fear of being taken advantage of. And I want you to know, you just need to own that. Because only if you own a fear can you get free from a fear. If you just acknowledge, I have a fear of that. And Lord, I know it's not like you. I know you want me to be a person of faith. But I have a fear that you. Some of you need to own the fear that you, have, um, um, that you won't have enough to take care of yourself if you're faithful to being a giver. You need to own that fear. Lord, I, I just, oh. oh, you heard a single mom today say that her, her house note went up. Her taxes went up. And before she could even get so gripped by fear, she said, but Lord, I'm going to keep tithing to you because that's who Tamika is. That's she's, she's, she's like, Pastor, you need to talk more about tithing because her dad was a pastor. And she's like, my daddy knew how to teach the people about tithing, Pastor. She was telling me that a year or so ago. I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. And, uh, and, 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 so, and so what happened? She testified. The moment that that went up, God took care of her over here and she got some kind of little bonus or raise at her job. Didn't even see it coming. That pressed down. Shaking together, running over. God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. And the fear, especially in an economic downturn with inflation going up. Oh, if I become a tither, if I become a giver, ooh, we won't have enough friend. Let me just tell you something. Own the fear. Because only by owning it can you get free from it. That's your first step. So, you know, Pastor, that's me. I own the fear. Some of you have a fear of, um, literally, some of you have a fear of being compliant. Compliant. You say, ooh, Pastor, careful. No, no, you do. We all have a little bit of rebelliousness in us. Ain't nobody going to tell me I'm getting my money. I'll tell you, give my money. I'll tell you right now. I was that guy. I had a fear of being compliant because if I become compliant, what if the person that I'm following is evil? What if they're manipulative? And I've complied to that, and I've destroyed my family. And so you have a fear of that. So you, what you need to do with that, again, is submit that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I have a fear of being compliant. I saw this video one time about giving and tithing. And, and I saw this, you know, this YouTube thing about how all the, all the big churches take the money from the people. And they drive in fancy cars. And, just, and Lord, I just, you need to own that. And say, Lord, I, after watching that video, Lord, there's something inside of me. It's like, ah, oh, no, anybody going to tell me to give in the church. And I, I see it over here doctrinally. I see it. 
in this house, we teach and believe and live the tithe. That's what we teach and believe. The early church were one in heart and one in mind. They're like, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to run that play. They didn't sit around arguing about it. Didn't sit around being, you know, competitive about it. They just said, okay, we're going to run that play. And that's what I need you to do in this church. Because if not, then you keep us from moving forward in the thing that God wants us to do. Nothing worse than have a team member who's sitting over there like, this is a stupid play. I ain't doing this. This is dumb. My last coach didn't play it like this. I understand that. But we're a congregation that wants to move great things in the spirit realm and see miracles, signs, and wonders. So we need to get on the same page. And so that fear is literally keeping you from the favor and the blessing that is on this house. Because let me tell you something. There is favor on this house. There is favor on this house. This body of believers, we're seeing more miracles. I'm telling you, every time, I can't tell you how many new people come to our church and struggle, didn't understand about the tithe. They start tithing and they'll pull me and say, Pastor, my God, I can't keep up with it. I'm getting raises and bonuses. I got a new job, da 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 I'm like, wow. And they said, only when I started coming here and only when I realized, you know what, this is the way of the Lord and I started giving. And in that compliance, the favor of God has flown straight to them. I mean, just, just, just flowed right to them, excuse me. And here's the second thing I would give you as advice if you're struggling to be a giver. And that is locate what I call the giver cheaters in your life. Giver cheaters. We all have giver cheaters. The things that cheat us out of being able to give. He said, I would give, but, yeah, well, okay, well, what's, what's cheating you out of being able to give? I know what it was for me. Y'all not, don't laugh at me. Don't you laugh at me. Three years ago, I was addicted to um, junk shopping. That's all I can call it. All right, so there's these places. My place was called Dirt Cheap. Anybody ever heard of Dirt Cheap? Yeah, you're right. All right, Dirt Cheap. Now, let me just, <laughs> come on, pass it. No, so dirt, so dirt Cheap, for you guys that don't know, there's these places where Walmart, uh, Target, all these other places, when you return something opened or broken, they can't do anything with it. So they pile it all up and they sell it to these other companies that basically have to sell it almost like garage sale level. And there are these whole stores. They just get pallets and they just buy pallets and you know, and then they put them out on the shelves. And so I was addicted. Every Monday on our day off, I would get Jamie, let's go. We're going to Dirt Cheap. She's like, why? Because there might be something there. There may be something I need. And I would go and look, I would find a lawnmower without a blade or four wheels and it would be $25. Baby, this is a $200 lawnmower. She's like, baby, we got a lot more, but we don't have this one. This one is on sale. I can fix it up, baby. Look, for another $25 investment, I can have a $50 lawnmower that's worth $250. And she's like, okay. And I'm telling you, after a year or two of this, I looked up, I had junk everywhere. I had projects on projects that I would never finish the project in a million years. I'm telling you, I had electrical cords that didn't work, but if I could just spend the time to rewire them, they would work. I only paid $3 for it. People would come over and say, guess how much I paid for that? Like, does it work? It don't matter. It's how much you think I paid for it. I bought it almost new. <laughs> and I was like, the Lord was kept like, hey, I want you to give this to this person. Give it. And I'm like, daddy, we ain't got no money. And that's when he's like, that's because you got junk on top of junk. And I stopped going to dirt cheap. The Lord set me free. And so now I'm, at, I'm free. And when God says, give that person $100, I'm like, yes, Lord, let's go. I can give it. Why? Because I got rid of the cheaters. The thing that was cheating me out of being able to be a good giver. And I don't know how many subscriptions you got to all these music things and all these video streaming services and all that. But they're cheating you out of being able to be a giver. You need, to, you need to figure them out and say, ooh, that's cheating us out. We don't need that. Why we got five of those? Why we got six of those? We don't need all that. Especially in the midst of like an economic downturn. You didn't need all that mess. Minimize. Get rid of that. Then you can be a giver. Here's a third piece of advice I would give you. And that is take some trust steps. This was a big deal for me. To take a little baby step towards trusting the Lord and giving. Take a little uh, trust step. Here, let, let, me, let me challenge you. If you've struggled to believe that you can tithe. Because you're a pastor. I just don't have the kind of money. Here's, I, I, I want to challenge you. And this is literally what God tells him in Malachi. He says... He says, test me and see if I'm not the Lord. Test me and see if you give to me if I won't take care of you in it. And so I, here's, here's, here's the challenge I would give you. If you struggle to be a tither, to give 10% of your income to the house of the Lord, then I would challenge you, take three months and tithe for three months and then come back and tell me if God doesn't do a miracle for you and if you don't have more than enough. Just t- take, test the Lord. Test the Lord. 
Test the Lord in that whole thing. I, just take a little bit of trust step just to see, just to see, just to see. You don't have to dive all in. I get it. Build trust. I mean, if somebody has done you wrong and you've got a little bit of apprehension or if you grew up with a way of thinking and now someone else is challenging you to do something, I, I wouldn't dive all in. I would take, I, I'm a baby step guy. All right, let me try. Okay, all right, all right, okay. Oh, 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 come on, okay. Take a trust step. Just take, uh, look, we got kids trying to raise money to go to summer camp. Take a little trust step. Go walk up to one of these kids. You got your money yet for summer camp? Here, let me give you $5. Let me like, $5? I don't know what I can do with that. No, 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 no. Shut up. That's my trust step. Let me give you some. <laughs> Sir, I need $400. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here. What's wrong with you? Take a trust step. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on. Are you with me to say, say yes? I want to give you one last little piece just to let you know how Hill City works. There are men and women in this congregation who said to us over the years, Pastor, we're with you. We want to give beyond our tithe. And so we created a team that we call Legacy Partners. Those are people who are like, this is their church. This, they, they, want to, they want to leave a legacy. They want to be sure that we, we birth campuses in Arlington and in Oak Cliff and, and, and you know, in Middle Othian and these places. And they want their children to be a part of something that has, has eternity you know, in its, in its thoughts. And so the Legacy Partners are people who give a little bit more than their tithe. And uh, anybody can be a legacy partner. In fact, throw the QR code up if, you want, or if you're interested. And, and we, we have two types of legacy partners. People who have a gift to give. In other words, God has blessed you so much. you got more money. You have a gift to give. Like God uses you as a giver. And the Bible talks about those with a gift to give. Um, that he's made you wealthy in a particular area. So you have a gift to give. And then those who have a heart to give. And those, those are those of us who say, well, I don't have a lot of money. But, um, but like the widow's might, I put what I got in there, and God multiplies that like he did the loaves and the fishes. And, and there's a lot of us, we just have a heart to give. We don't have lots of money, but we're, we're the ones who have a heart to give, and we're part of the legacy too. And so uh, we're, we do, a, we do a, twice a year, we do a get-together. We pray, we talk about how we're moving the, uh, the ministry vision forward and accelerating it. God's going to accomplish his vision that he wants to do through Hill City, but he'll use you and I to accelerate it or hold it back. It all depends on where our faith is at. And so, and so the legacy partners uh, will be doing, I'll reach out to you guys who are givers to the church, ask if you'd like to come to a, a banquet here soon and just kind of hear the vision of acceleration of how we want to reach in the areas that we're not reaching into now and what God's doing with that. And so consider that as we go forward. The early church, the OCs, they were givers. And I just challenge us to act like a Christian because Christians give. That's what we are. That's what we do. We need to stop crowing and roostering around because we've been caged up with a bunch of people who don't believe in God. We spend our whole life around people who, who talk about how the church is manipulative and the body of Christ this and the televangelist that and that preacher dude and that and not going to get his jet and all that. And we need to step out of that cage and we need to be who God made us to be and act like Christians act and Christians are givers. And I'm just challenging you. Next time you're standing at Walmart, the Lord's going to He's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, "Help that lady right there. Talk to that person right there and see if you can't give them that. See that young person right there? They're trying to go to youth camp and they don't have the money. Give that man a job cutting grass. Let him come cut your grass. See that guy right there? Help him out because this is how Christians act. Would you stand with me all across the room quickly? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond. And again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock, and until then, we hope you have an amazing week.